What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of National Pastime. John and Toaster here. And we are, I think, officially into week one of the preseason is how this works. The Hall of Fame game doesn't necessarily count since it's only two teams, but uh, well, we will dive. Count. It's the preseason. Big facts. Big facts. <laughs> but in today's spoiler episode, alert, Sean McVay feels that way. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Don't bury the lead toaster we'll get there but uh in today's episode we will get into some of the storylines that we're looking at in this week's preseason games we'll recap the first episode of hard knocks if anybody's missed it uh just gonna let you know there's spoilers there uh the texans tried to close their camp early the nfl said no we'll get into that a little bit and finally we will wrap with uh russell wilson being willing to renegotiate his contract to get some of his hold out or hold in teammates paid. So from there, I guess we'll just get started here. Week one of the preseason toaster. It's our first chance to see all of these rookie quarterbacks, potentially. Um, Justin Fields looks like he's going to get the majority of the work for the Bears in their game against the Dolphins. Mac Jones, I'm assuming, is going to get a lot of work, just given Cam Newton's injury history. Um, Trevor Lawrence should play should he play? I don't know. Do, do any of these rookie storylines jump out at you? I think Justin Fields is definitely number one there because he has the opportunity to win a job in the preseason. And I don't think that there's a lot of other rookie quarterbacks that have the opportunity to do so with their preseason performance. Someone like uh, Trevor Lawrence Although for some reason, Urban Meyer hasn't named him the week one starting QB. He's going to be yeah. the week one starting QB. So Justin Fields is definitely the the most interesting story out of this because I think Bill Belichick stands by his word. Uh, it will be a competition, but Cam has to be truly beaten for his experience to basically give way to Mac Jones. So if Mac shows up and just lights it up this week you, you don't i guess does it get him any closer or do you think it's firmly it, like it's cam's job to lose cam cam's or mac okay so mac can't win it necessarily cam would have to really fall apart for him to not start week one well and if you think about how a lot of the coaches look at the preseason it's a chance to evaluate these people with in-game situations and Sean McVay, for instance, as we alluded to, doesn't see any reason to play his veteran Matthew Stafford the entire preseason. He went as far as to say, as long as he's a Ram, he will not play in the preseason. So even if Wolford balls out, there's no threat to Stafford. And I feel similarly for Mac Jones and Cam Newton. There's so many more experiences, so many more situational plays that actually happen in practice, in film review, in in going through things on the board that mm -hmm. Belichick values. And Cam, just because he's been in the league for so long, is going to have a heads up on that. Well, and when you really break it down to like, what does Mac Jones and all these rookie quarterbacks really need, right? They need reps. They need to see NFL or close to NFL game speed as much as possible for guys like Cam Newton or Matt Stafford, like you mentioned, they're not really going to get as much out of playing against a bunch of second and third stringers in the preseason, getting really bland looks on defense, 
Like, so to your point, yeah, they're, they're going to get more from practice. And I guess as long as Cam is healthy and as long as he just doesn't completely fall apart in practices, I would tend to agree with you. I think it's pretty much his job to lose, but I would well, like to see Mac Jones push him. Look at their offense as well, right? They're going to be a ground and pound ball control offense. So as long as Cam controls his turnovers, they're going to trust him in that offense. He's been there one year longer, um, just barely considering uh, he wasn't uh, actually acquired until July and there was no preseason last year. Yeah. But he's got the command of that offense, a, he- a leg up on Mac Jones, and they're not asking their quarterback to win them games. And that's the difference between that team and potentially Chicago, potentially Jacksonville. Uh, Cincinnati with Burrow coming back, they're putting the they're putting the game on the QB shoulder versus uh, the Patriots just saying don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, I I like that. I you know what I tend to think that that is Bill Belichick's exact sentiment too. Uh, don't fuck it up. So all right, that's be interesting to I see mean, what happens there. I I don't know if you remember, but three or so years ago they were actually investigating. Um, whether or not the balls were deflated, not because of deflate gate, but because there were so few fumbles from their running backs disproportionately to the rest of the league. And they, it was because if you fumbled, you were benched, you're potentially yeah. cut, right? Yeah. Like it's saying the ball is the most important thing. We would rather go three and out than turn the ball over. And players like drew lock need to learn that that's what it takes to succeed in this league. It's not being a hero. It's being predictable. Yeah, I, that notion of being so good at something that you must be cheating is like hilarious, too, and such a Patriots of this era uh, situation. But well, so you mentioned Drew Locke. We can kind of get into that a little bit. The Broncos quarterback battle between him and Teddy Bridgewater. Um, really, nobody stepped up to this point. And I don't know if we should be surprised by that or not. I, we know Drew Locke. It has a tendency to go for the big play, which means he will sometimes hit it, but also make a big mistake. We know that's kind of the opposite of Teddy Bridgewater, but the fact that neither has really shown anything uh, to this point, I don't know. I guess that's pretty much what we should have expected, but Drew Locke nonetheless will get the first crack at starting in the preseason. Teddy Bridgewater will start their second game. Um, I know you've bought stock into Teddy this year, but unless he, like, <laughs> to me, Drew Locke just has to be the guy unless he is just absolute dog shit. Um, and Teddy clearly hasn't taken a step forward. So I guess how, what are you reading into Drew getting the first reps? Does it matter? It doesn't matter at all to me. I think that this is just, he is our incumbent starting quarterback. Um, the GM did not have anything to do with his drafting he did have something to do with the acquisition of Teddy Bridgewater. So I would actually give Bridgewater a leg up in this. I know VP of football operations or whatever John Elway promoted himself to after going out on a limb and getting securing Peyton Manning as a free agent. Like nobody saw that coming um, or at least being a good investment. Um, They're giving him the first shot, but it's actually in a way how I look at backup running backs. When you look at like Zeke versus, um, can't remember their, his name right now, Pollard, uh, Pollard last year, 
Pollard averaged more yards per carry, but there's also a different mindset from the defense when Pollard's in versus when Zeke's in. And that's what I think that they actually might get more momentum from Teddy Bridgewater by having him come in, beat up some of the second stringers, and then carry that momentum into playing the first stringers against the Seahawks next next year, or sorry, next game. Uh, so it, in a way, it actually might be more beneficial for Bridgewater if they were truly going to make this a 50-50 proposition to give him mm-hmm. the backup reps, uh, the receiving cores deep enough that they can still be successful and get some momentum and then take on the starters next year, next week uh, after getting a little bit of your, your feet wet. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you there. I think where I currently stand is that it almost doesn't matter who starts for this team. They give me hardcore 2020 bears vibes where they brought in Nick Foles to compete with I Mitch. That, neither. I missed that 2020. What, who was murdered and Oh, not Dateline. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, the year of our Lord 2020 or okay. somebody's Lord 2020. But yeah, uh, Bears bring in Foles. Neither guy impressed in camp. Neither guy really stood out. Mitch, you know, was, I guess, the de facto winner uh, because he was the incumbent. Uh, but we saw how quick of a leash Matt Nagy had for him. And I think we might get a similar scenario play out here. Uh, all things considered, but it doesn't look good for the Broncos with either of these guys necessarily, unless Teddy can get back to, um, I mean, I know I don't want to discount his play last year. I know it wasn't bad, but I don't think it gets them necessarily over the hump, uh, with that roster, especially in that division. So, uh, unfortunately for the Broncos, I don't think it matters too much, but um, they probably want to see Drew Locke go out and take the job and at least make the week one decision easy. And then, you know, it's inevitable. He's going to make a mistake and you can pull him later, I suppose, and get Teddy in. Well, but that's that's the exact issue here is you look at this offensive roster and it's a little bit to call it stacked, but it's pretty impressive compared to the other rosters out there. You've got Cortland Sutton coming back, Jerry Judy and K- mm-hmm. KJ Hamler. Your offensive line now that Garrett Bowles no for some reason just start just start uh, started playing football again. Um, he forgot how to his first two years in the league, and then you got Melvin Gordon. And I'm super pumped for Javante Williams in that backfield. Yeah. You have everything that you need except for that one pos- most important position, and so. Since you have a handicap there, you take the guy that's just not going to fuck it up for you. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. I, I just don't know if that is that to me is a very conservative uh, aiming for you can nine, uh, 10 win strategy. You can call it conservative, but remember, we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater coming off the best year of his career last year, and that's better than his Pro Bowl year. I, I I get that he only won five games last year, but that was without their all around running back, wide receiver, offensive weapon, whatever you want to call him in in uh, McCaffrey. And he had yeah. he had four for the first time in history had four people go over four thousand yards in that offense. So I, I don't get the the slack on Teddy Bridgewater because he ran an effective offense last year. 
Yeah, I think at, at the end of the day, what stands out to me or the the vibes that I get off it are the four wins. And then, you know, he threw 15 touchdowns it, It's at, with 11 interceptions. It's not like he lit the world on fire. And that Pro Bowl year that you're talking about, like, was really not impressive. It's, you know, 3,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, nine interceptions uh, without diving into who else made the Pro Bowl or missed the Pro Bowl that year. Um, I mean, I, I understand your point. If, if they get, if the Broncos get 2020 Teddy Bridgewater, then it gets them in the conversation for sure. Um, I think their aspirations are a little higher than that, but ultimately Vic Fangio is a defensive head coach. Maybe that wins out and he takes the guy that he feels is going to protect the ball more, run the offense more efficiently. And as far as we know, that is Teddy. So, I mean, he, yeah, he threw for almost a thousand more yards than Drew Locke last year through one less touchdown and four fewer interceptions. Like if we're comparing apples to apples, this is Teddy Bridgewater's oh, yeah. job. And I don't think that I'm not pounding the table for Drew Locke has the same. If it was Elway still making the calls, I think that, yeah, Locke gets the nod. But since he's removed himself from his terrible acumen as a quarterback assessor um i mean trevor simeon is the only winning quarterback for the broncos since l or since manning left osweiler i mean you can just throw out every single you can throw out seven different quarterbacks and they all have losing records except for trevor simeon and that's yeah, that's, that's a why stat. we that's why we move on to bridge that's why we take bridgewater at this point fair enough all right Moving on, um, we've got another, I guess, pseudo quarterback battle, if you want to call it. Uh, Sam Ellinger, uh, rookie for the Indianapolis Colts, who uh, played at Texas seemingly for a decade, uh, has been getting first team snaps in favor of Jacob Eason. Uh, sounds like the Colts like both guys, but as of today, apparently the Colts are pretty optimistic about Carson Wentz's chances of starting week one. I guess, where do you stand on that, first of all? And then uh, do you really think Sam Ellinger should be getting reps over Jacob Eason anyway? First off, I'm super pumped. I want the best product out there that you can have, and that means Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz. Whether or not Carson Wentz is good or bad this year, them on the field makes for a better product and a, a more exciting uh, season for us. So uh, Godspeed, wish them all the best of health. Um, the fact that they're already walking around without walking boots is pretty promising. So from what I've heard, um, I'm not a formal doctor by training, but I have watched a lot of doctor shows. Um, the reason for that wide span of five to 12 weeks was because the surgery is either basically successful or there's quite a bit of rehab and the fact that they're already moving around without um extra protection puts them on the side of okay this went successfully and they might be back week one week two and with that hell of a season <laughs> to our hell of a schedule to start schedule. the season they needed to um and as far as ellinger I'm pumped for him. This is what I want. This is what we ultimately want. A meritocracy in the NFL. Everybody gets yeah. tied up in draft position and like 
I thought it was gone when Russell Wilson won over Matt Flynn, right? Would they give Matt Flynn a hundred million dollar contract or something? Russell Wilson came in third round draft pick transfer to Wisconsin. And they say, no, you won the damn job. Matt Flynn yeah. threw six touchdowns in one game in what week 17 or something. Fantastic. Yeah. But it's a meritocracy. And if Ellinger's able to ball, then put him over Eason. All right. I, I agree with you completely. Um, I do wish the best for Carson Wentz. It it did seem there seem like for a minute there that we might be getting the worst case scenario of that uh, six to 12 week timeline or whatever it was that was thrown out for him. But um, I think the fact that they really haven't gone out and acquired a legitimate quarterback otherwise and are instead using this opportunity to give those guys the Ellinger and Eason's reps. I think that's a good sign. And yeah, I mean, Ellinger is an easy guy to root for, you know, um, he plays his balls off. He's just not super talented at the end of the day. Um, you know, Eason obviously is big, strong, massive arm. Um, so, you know, it, it good for Sam, but, um, it sounds like we're getting to the point where the Colts will be getting Carson Wentz back, which is a good thing. Yeah. So. And it makes sense that they didn't go out for another veteran option. If they knew that basically by one, two weeks after surgery, they were going to know whether it was on the five week yeah. side of things or the 12 week side of things. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for another sec quarterback in Sam Ellinger to, uh, make it break into the league someday. <laughs> there you go. The, the new sec with, with Texas. Uh, okay. A couple of the other, quarterbacks I just want to touch on before we get out of the pre first week of preseason games here. Um, Zach Wilson. So uh, obviously we talked about in our, you know, frequent jets going to jet segment that he was uh, holding out and, you know, essentially was uh, had a dispute with the jets over the, some of his contract language. They ultimately came to agreement a few days late to the start of training camp, but he's been there He's apparently been struggling pretty bad, and uh, he did have a good quote today. He was asked about it, and I thought he was being honest and um, not just saying words, which tends to happen from NFL quarterbacks. But, you know, he mentioned how this is his opportunity to test what he can do. And um, the only way he can learn that he can't fit throws in a certain windows at this level is by making him happen, and practice is the perfect place to do that. I don't disagree with him. But we also talked about before the draft how, or sorry, post-draft, uh, before really OTAs and everything got started, that we thought that Zach was the one guy of this class that, not that he's not up there talent-wise with everybody, but might be mentally broken down easier than anybody else and could str early struggles could really derail him and his Jets career is do you he's think we big, should be he's in the biggest spotlight in new york city's market um or i guess northern new jersey's market um yeah. and then the other thing is just his playing style he played fast and loose and at byu those windows were bigger and so him finding out the windows that he can't hit right now he's not used to having to try to fit it into a tight window and now that he's finding out what he can't fit it into, I'm a little concerned about him regressing like a Tua did when you're too scared to take the chance. You've got to have 
complete separation to make that throw. And I mean, he's got Elijah Moore, so he might get a lot of separation. So it, that could work out just just fine for him. Um, but those, you know, third down and shorts or those goal line situations are going to be tough when there's no over the top to to take some of the defenders out of the box. Um, and I think that's what, even though we had a better practice today, there were still quite a few questionable throws and back to where we were on the drew lock teddy bridgewater those questionable throws are what kill you right his first yeah. pass of the session today should have been an interception it wasn't but if it was or could have been that's enough to kill a drive right there right and he killed a ton of drives on saturday from all accounts um only led the offense to three points in their annual green versus white game and that's that's concerning even as a rookie quarterback First time out there, you yeah. got to be able to move the ball. Yeah, and one of the other things that I think concerned me a little bit that I heard, and again, you know, reps and time with the offense, and, you know, he missed a few days, obviously, with his contract stuff, but um, so maybe this all gets smoothed over, but he came from a system in BYU against lesser competition with a really good offensive line where he had all day to throw. And one of the things that was mentioned was that he was even in seven on seven, taking his sweet time back there. Um, I know the Jets have invested in their offensive line a little bit, but that is not going to fly in the NFL. And the coaches had to pull him aside basically and tell him, we need you to pick up your pace going through reads and doing these things. So the only way to really get that experience is to play but that being said, given everything we've talked about, should he be playing this week? I'm worried about him getting broken by going out there and not being ready. I can completely see. Uh, let's see what Michael Carter has and just keep handing the ball off for the first drive, um, whether or not it goes three and out or they get a couple first downs. Don't ask anything too much of them. But if I was them, I wouldn't give him the opportunity to get to two interceptions. If he gets to yeah. two interceptions, I'm worried about him completely breaking. So that means super cautious on the first drive, maybe a little bit more aggressive on the second drive, but go into the go in just for his own mental saying you're only getting two drives and we're not yeah. going to give you the opportunity to get two interceptions. Yeah. Uh, I I like that approach. We'll see what the Jets ultimately and and Robert Sala ultimately ends up doing, but um, yeah, he's, he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on because I agree with you. I think of all of these guys, he's the one that could be broken the way that we've seen them break Sam Darnold. It's just, and, and I want to be do. clear, this is not a shot at Zach Wilson in any way. No. It's that he, his pressures in that market are completely different. Chicago's been in, you know, asking for a QB. I mean, Jay Cutler was definitely successful, but never got them to the precipice of anything. I guess you could say Rex Grossman got them to a Super Bowl if you want, but there hasn't hey, been that true. They went to the NFC Championship with Jay. Just saying. Um, they haven't had that true. Okay, we feel like we have a franchise caliber quarterback, and so even if Justin Fields were to flame out, I don't think that it would be under the same pressure that a. Jets quarterback is ultimately feeling because they they killed Sam Darnold, right? He's seeing ghosts out there yeah. and you got to hear about it on the front page and the back page of the New York Times anytime you fuck that up. Yeah, and I think uh, their situations are a little different too in that 
Well, one, I, I will, uh, I guess, disagree a little bit. I think there's a lot of pressure under any first round quarterback that comes into Chicago, but Justin Fields played on the biggest stage his entire college career. He played in one of the biggest programs and he's about as even keeled as it gets. So I agree. I don't think he is necessarily going to be broken by the weight of the expectations. Zach Wilson remains to be seen. But he might get right. Carolina in that first game. Coastal Carolina. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else on uh, this week's preseason games before we move on here? I'm excited to see Trey Lance. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see that that split of reps and <laughs> Shanahan might have a problem on his hand if Lance balls out too hard because there's going to be some clamoring anytime that Jimmy G doesn't move the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one I, more I thing. Think, one yeah, more thing. Love playing the entire preseason. I'm super pumped about because it's basically the Aaron Rodgers saga one year from now. Ah, okay. Okay. I'm with you on that. Um, all righty. So moving on to uh, hard knocks here. I, for everybody that, you know, is tuning in that hasn't seen it yet, I, we're not going to get into, I guess, the minute by minute recap, but spoilers, I suppose, to some degree, if people care about that. Um, hard knocks this year, as most people know by now, is uh, featuring the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dak Prescott coming off his gruesome ankle injury last year and his $160 million contract. Um, you got Ezekiel Elliott sort of uh, looking to redeem himself, I guess you could say, based on his performance from last year. And uh, their first round pick, Micah Parsons, who, uh, if you watch the episode, is pretty easy kid to root for, a uh, good character. Um, overall, I, I mean, what thoughts on the episode? Is Dallas going to be an intriguing team for us this this Hard Knocks season? I don't like Mike McCarthy, and that's going to make <laughs> this difficult. I'm still yeah. shocked that he got another opportunity with another potential superstar quarterback. I'm not putting Dak at that level yet, but somebody that can bolster um, basically his resume. I mean, if you look at that offense, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, the, one of the best lines in the league. Like, if he can't win games with this, I don't understand why he's got another chance. So I'm, I'm actually rooting for him to be fired before Hard Knocks is over. I don't think that it's going to be quite that quick. Um, but I, uh, Jim Fassel's vasectomy, I don't know. That was a little weird. There's, and Jerry weird, had a awesome. Jerry had a much more minor role than I was anticipating him. So I, I don't really have the same storylines that I thought last year's was amazing. I mean, obviously there were two teams, but um, the yeah. Chargers were just Anthony Lynn was uh, somebody that you wanted to root for. Uh, obviously, you had Justin Herbert and even Tyrod Taylor's always been somebody that's kind of like your Ryan Fitzpatrick in the league. You want to see him succeed. And I just don't see mm -hmm. those stories right now, especially now that Dak is. Um, as ironically as it is that he wanted to play more in the first uh, episode. episode of Hard Knocks is now getting another MRI to see how his shoulder strain is doing. 
Yeah, so I, I guess that's the that's the big storyline for me, and it, it really got, um, I guess, boosted a little bit just as of a couple hours ago. So anyone that's not aware, uh, Dak Prescott uh, strained his shoulder, uh, warming up for the first padded practice of of training camp. Hard Knocks had all of it. Dak was pissed that the trainer pulled him off the field. He was dropping F-bombs left and right. Uh, saying that he missed enough time last year, but he still hasn't come back from that injury now. And as of, uh, let's see what the timestamp on this is, 5.06 p.m. Pacific time on August 11th, the Cowboys have tweeted, it's not a setback and it's not a reason to worry, but QB Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. That to me says it's time to worry. Is that the worst PR tweet you've ever seen? Like, okay, I from somebody that was like with a team and was involved in social media to some degree, like this reeks of Jerry Jones or Stephen Jones saying, this is this is what you send out, like type this in and tweet this right now. And yeah, so bad. So bad. I mean, it, just to, even if you just switch the order and said das Pro, Dak, Pros, uh, Dak Prescott is going in for another MRI, nothing to worry, not a setback, nothing to worry about. Then you're like, oh, OK, yeah. that just like a confirmatory MRI. You yes. don't just like so we have news and it's not bad news. We promise they really they really fucked up with that but so i guess uh, leading back to hard knocks do you think that dak's injury and the drama surrounding this is a better narrative for hard knocks than his comeback story because i feel like we're gonna get a pretty decent look at him at least for this next episode as we go through this stuff if the injury lingers they might pull him from the facility altogether and get get him away from the cameras but uh, I think we're going to get some fire in this next episode from him. If as long as he can come back, I think it's a good story. If he's held out the entire preseason, then quite frankly, it's like watching the Dallas Cowboys from last season. And it was a miserable experience. Nobody wants to see Garrett Gilbert or Ben DiNucci running that team. They're probably not going to play their starters anywhere near as long um, they're probably not going to get anywhere near as many reps because they aren't valuable because the drop off in talent between Prescott and Garrett Gilbert and Ben DiNucci is so drastic that there's no reason to risk or even try to get a rapport with a CD lamb or an Amari no. Cooper, because it's not going to be anything like what Dak will ultimately bring. Should he, should he make it back? And again, hopefully he will. Well, and you saw that to some degree in, in this last episode, too. And obviously more has transpired since then. But they were like, look, you can you can be on the field. And Jerry Jones was asking the trainer, like, can he can he throw short? Can he you know, we can take away the long throws from him. And the trainer was like, just dial it back completely. Like he was just taking snaps and giving handoffs. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about the injury. I don't know if we know exactly what it is, um, necessarily. Has that been reported yet? The, uh, head trainer said it wasn't a bicep, wasn't a tricep. It might be a lat strain in the episode. So again, I'm not a doctor, but he also didn't sound very doctory when he was saying this. No, Um, he did not. What I would ultimately take out of this though, is 
they were trying to report progress and that him and Amari Cooper were throwing short and intermediate passes on the sideline. And then the very same day, he's going for an MRI. So you wanted to show this progress, and now you're saying, well, we need to investigate a little bit further. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, um, Hard Knocks narrative, our entertainment aside, I feel bad for Dak. Um, he came across as somebody that was really easy to root for as well in this episode. And, um, you know, I, I want to see him succeed. Like hell man. Uh, he's, whether you think he is a top, you know, five, top eight or top 12 quarterback, wherever you slot him, regardless, he is one of the top guys in the league still. And he, you know, bet on himself two years in a row got his contract after a terrible injury. It's like, I want to see him come back. So I hope this thing gets resolved soon and we get his comeback story injected into the season before uh, it's ultimately over and the season starts. So, well, and just um, in general, the NFL is better when the Cowboys are competitive because they're a major media market pro or con, right? Whether yeah. you're rooting for them or against them, it's a story and they're going to have their primetime games. So, if they're competitive, it's more fun to watch those primetime games because, again, you can see that your team taking down a top-tier team or you can see your top-tier team winning. Yeah. The Cowboys are, for better or worse, uh, still one of the media darlings of the NFL. I mean, hell, they're the most valuable franchise in the league. Uh, that is not by accident. In so, sports, right? I think in North American pro sports, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they are <laughs> Jerry Jones. That's a hell of an investment he made back in the eighties. Good for him. Um, all right. Well, moving on from there, uh, going to another Texas team that was on hard knocks, uh, the Houston Texans <laughs> apparently tried to close camp early, uh, in an effort to ban media from watching practice. So they were trying to say, Hey, training camp's done. Um, we're in regular season mode and the NFL said, no, <laughs> the NFL rule officially states that all daily practices must be open in their entirety to local media through August 26th. So toaster, uh, I'll give you the floor here. <laughs> what do you think about that move? I mean, by the there's been a ton of retreads in from the Patriot system, obviously Bill O'Brien now Nick Casarero's there and you always want to be ahead of the rules, but this was just, I mean, you already have such bad press coverage. Now you're trying to say, Oh, we're in regular season form. This isn't training camp anymore for us, despite the fact that we haven't played a single preseason game and our media coverage was so bad that we canceled our mini camp because we just didn't want to face the news. Now you've got, you're paying your QB four. Their unofficial official depth chart came out today listing Deshaun Watson as the fourth string QB who hasn't even Lord. started his four-year $156 million contract extension. It doesn't kick in until 2022. So I I don't know what their plan is. At this point, you've got to just cut bait. I, holding on to him, if you're not even willing to have the media available for your preseason practices, it's just a rough road ahead. Yeah. I, they are in like, I will acknowledge, right. That they are in a tough spot. Um, and Deshaun Watson put them in this tough spot, 
That said, their handling of the situation has been very, very poor. And this is a team that already is like a laughing stock, right? Like coming off the Bill O'Brien situation with the trading away of DeAndre Hopkins and all the other moves that they made, they were already a joke. And you throw this into the mix and it's like, look, man, you have to take your lumps ultimately. Uh, you, you're a professional sports franchise. You have to take your lumps. And if that is the media taking 10 second Twitter videos of Deshaun Watson sitting on the sideline while you actually run your practice every day and that being bigger than the story of your team, which frankly it is, this team is dog shit. They are in the pole position to be the number one pick next year. It's like, this just is such a weak move, such a weak move by them. And I agree. I mean, they, they ultimately have to move on from Deshaun. If this is the way that they're going to handle this situation. Well, that's what I don't understand is why are you listing him as your QB four? Unless you're ready to move on from him. You should have been clamoring. If you were going to list him as your QB four, you should have been clamoring for him to be put on the commissioner's exemplist. The expectation to get five top tier draft picks with this legal situation hanging over their head is the reason that I think they didn't push for that any harder. But right now the NFL has to look at them and say, there's been no material change. We can't, unless something else happens, we can't just say, Oh, we let him go through the preseason. And now that it's the regular season, we're going to put your QB four on the commissioner exemplist. Right. So right. they've already missed their window. And I know we talked mm -hmm. about this um, in one of our previous episodes, but they played this situation so terribly and I, I, to their credit this is a situation that nobody's really ever gone through before but the expectations for what they thought his value was when he may not play for two more years are you going to sit there and just hold on to him for two year, more years because if he's not put on the commissioner's exemplus this year there is no settlement his court date doesn't start until february probably doesn't get resolved until after the draft and now you're in the same exact position where you don't have any draft picks and that's why yeah. I said they should have taken the trade with the Eagles, both of their first round picks next year, or their first round pick and their conditional Wentz pick when it was uncertain, because that was the yeah. best that they were going to be able to get was a one and a conditional two plus some future ones. And yeah. I think the Eagles would have bit at that point because they still have a quarterback that they ultimately believe in and could have flipped. But them holding out for top tier compensation to compete this year when they're not going to compete this year, regardless of whether Watson's on the field or not, uh, is just shades of Bill O'Brien, maybe not being the worst thing that's ever happened to that organization. Yeah. Uh, it's funny how they moved on from him and things seem to get immediately worse. So it's, it's going to get a lot worse for them before it gets better. But the first thing that they can do to start that process is trade Deshaun Watson. I just don't know at this point, it, are the Eagles or any other team going to come back with an offer that's worth anything? Um, I, the only thing I can see the Eagles coming back with right now is if there is a true Dak Prescott injury and they see this as their window to compete and yeah. they say Hertz is not our, our, not our guy. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a good call. Um, I don't know. It, it still feels like, weird talking about it the whole situation um but it doesn't look like we're going to get a resolution anytime soon so at, i guess at some point you have to make a move on them i don't know we'll see how that plays out um anything else on that before we wrap up here 
No, I think uh, as much as as curious as the Watson situation is, true, false, a gray area, whatever it is, it's it's going to be murky, and that's yeah. why I think that it the longer they allow it to be murky, murky for the Texans is a worse position for them to be in because right now they're taking the entire burden of that. Whereas the Eagles could or somebody else could just stash him and say, this is a future investment. We're saying we don't, we're not taking a stance for or against this guy right now, but he will be once he does his time, comes back, serves the community, what he did similar to what Michael Vick had to do, right? Like he got another chance um, because we said in society, this is what you have to do. If you go through this type of, you know, I don't even know what to call it at this point. Um, yeah. But the, the Texans want to get this off their books as soon as possible. And, and they miss that. They miss that window. Yeah, they definitely missed the chance to maximize the the return there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, we'll get out of here on this last topic. So um, as some people may know, the Seahawks <laughs> had a really interesting offseason. But um, their star safety, who they traded two first-round picks to the Jets for, Jamal Adams, is holding in, looking for a new deal, as is their, I don't know if I'd go as far as to call him a star, but their very good left tackle, Dwayne Brown. Both players are have one year left on their deals, are looking for raises, essentially, and it doesn't really look like either is willing to budge at this point. Um, but the Seahawks, um, I, I don't know, I guess got lucky today to some degree. Russell Wilson said that he's willing to restructure his deal to give the team more money for both of those guys. Now, the Seahawks could drop Russ's 2021 cap hit from uh, 32 down to 17.66 is what I'm seeing here. So uh, clearing over $14 million. Uh, it, with a restructure now, obviously that pushes more prorated money to the future and would make it that much harder. They'd be in a, a worse situation from a dead cap hit standpoint if they were to move on from him, if this relationship is fractured uh, next year or the following year. What do you think ultimately this is, is, this is the ultimate this is a fuck you to the seahawks because they can restructure his contract without his permission they can take 17 million of his 19 million and clear up that space without even discussing it with russell wilson so this is him beating them to the media and saying i'm willing to make this team work knowing that it sets them up for an even worse headache in the future so yeah. this is just a, I mean, it's a great PR move by it Russell totally Wilson, is. but yeah. there's it, quite frankly, there's the only restructure that would be beneficial to the Seahawks is him taking less money in the future. And that's yeah. not what he's talking about. No, it's definitely not. And I wouldn't expect him to do that. Yeah. Uh, my first thought on this was like you said, uh, just baller PR move, like stick your nuts on the table for Russ because Whenever you're saying I'm willing to uh, take less money or, you know, the, the I guess the optics of it are taking less money now. 
people will buy into that, right? They'll be like, oh, he's such a team player. He's willing to do this. But yeah, we know his Russ situation. Russ is all in. He's trying to get Jamal back. He's trying to get Dwayne Brown back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, go Hawks. But, but it really, all it does is set them up to be further fucked in the future. And he absolutely knows that. And he, I don't think, is committed to being there in the future at this point. So he's yeah. just beating everybody to the punch and saying, I'm, I'm a team player. And this is a headline driven society at this point. All you read is Russ willing to restructure contract. No understanding that there's no monetary difference to Russ. It's just whether yeah. or not he gets to buy his second boat now or second boat in a year from now. Yeah. So I'm inclined to think that the Seahawks will not uh, take him up on this proposal. If that's the case, are we headed for a situation where the Seahawks have to put a franchise tag on Jamal Adams. Is that, well, is that really where we're going? They can't at this point. So they're going to need to find a way to get him to camp or to not necessarily to camp, but to get him to play now. And quite frankly, he's a, he's being paid 50% of what he wants to be paid. And I can see this whole, this hold in pushing into the regular season. If he's really that, um, <laughs> that set on things. I, I actually watched the week one recap of the Seahawks game um, from 2020 today, just not related to this at all. He had the first three tackles for them in his first game as a Seahawk. So it just, I mean, he's a baller player for sure. And yeah. I just, it's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. What he wants. We, yeah. He can't They're get paid not. what he wants. Yeah. I mean, he wants to be paid you know, you look at um, what some of these most recent linebackers got, right? Um, Fred Warner and Darius Leonard. He wants to be in that category pushing 20 mil a year. And there is zero chance that the Seahawks make him a higher paid player on an annual basis than Bobby Wagner, who's making right. 18. So th they're not going to fuck up their team dynamic by doing that. But he wants more than that. So like... <laughs> Dude, if this ends up biting them in the ass and they realize they can't come to an agreement and they have to ultimately trade him to save face, it like do you do you see that as an option? I, I think that there's teams that would be willing to trade for him, but I don't think there's any team that's willing to pay him what he wants to be paid. So and they're definitely not going to recruit recoup their two first round draft picks that they gave up for this. So I don't see yeah. him being traded just because of the optics of what would need to happen to make this move happen. Yeah. All right. I'm with you on that. The Dwayne Brown situation seems a little more resolvable to me. Um, I think that the, from the Seahawks standpoint, it's just like, OK, you're 36 years old. You know, are we really going to invest in you for the next few years um i think ultimately that will get done especially uh if they have any hopes of keeping russ around they better keep uh his his left tackle but um yeah the jamal adams situation just gets hairier like every day and what a freaking off season for the seahawks yeah but uh, I, they, I mean they can work with dwayne brown's contract and convert some of his base salary this year into a prorate bonus in the next year, free up the extra money that they ultimately need for Jamal Adams. So it's still workable completely without Russ's input in 
that's why Russ's genius in putting the team in this situation where now they have to answer questions as to why they're not restructuring Russ's contract is is so fantastic for anybody that doesn't want to see the Seahawks succeed long term, yeah. which might be Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah, got a very Aaron Rodgers esque situation there, just with a slightly different approach uh, because of their personalities. But all right. Well, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And obviously we will update everybody as that, that any movement occurs there with Jamal Adams or Dwayne Brown, I suppose. But uh, other than that, let's get out of here. Toaster, anything else before we go? Uh, preseason kicks off Thursday, August 12th, Washington at New England on NFL Network. Season's here. Let's do this. Boom. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter at NPTFBall. And yeah, tell your friends. The season's starting, so we're going to be cranking up the content here. But thanks for listening.